Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the program. This is Good Morning New York, and I am your host, Vince Rocco. I'd like to welcome our listeners from the United States and around the world. We are coming to you live from New York City as usual. Um, In the news today, former New Yorker and Vanity Fair editor Tina Brown listed a six-bedroom triplex on East 57th Street for $9.75 million. The apartment which Brown shared with her husband, uh, journalist uh, Harold Evans, has seen a number of famous dinner guests over the years, including women's rights advocates and former U.S. President Bill Clinton and former U.K. uh, Prime Minister Tony Blair. Brown and Evans brought the property at 447 East 57th Street, a six 16-floor co-op with just 23 apartments for $3.8 million almost 20 years ago and spent about a million dollars on renovations. This, according to the Wall Street Journal, the apartment includes an outdoor garden. With the children grown, the media power couple planned to relocate to a smaller apartment. The Real Deal reported in May that they uh, would be listing the Sutton Place triplex. Earlier this month, they listed their quag home in the Hamptons for $8.6 million. Brown, who grew up in Britain, moved to the U.S. in 1984 to become editor of Vanity Fair and later The New Yorker. She currently heads a company that or- uh, organizes uh, forums and summits. Her husband founded Condé Nast Traveler and wrote numerous books. He is currently an editor-at-large at Reuters. Brown, Harris, Stevens, Kathy Sloan has the listing and, of course, no comment. Town Residential has agreed to withdraw its request for a temporary injunction to stop Wendy Maitland from working at Brown Harris Stevens. Instead, Town and Maitland, the brokerage's former president of sales, came to an agreement that she would not attempt to solicit any agents from Town pending a trial and would inform the company if she plans to do business with any of its former clients. Per the agreement, the two parties cannot discuss terms of the deal in the media. A judge denied Town's previous request for a restraining order. Both Maitland and Town CEO Andrew Heiberger declined to comment. A spokesman for Brown Harris Stevens also declined to comment. Queens neighborhoods like Woodside, Sunnyside, Jackson Heights, and other areas. I was going to say Sunnyside Up, which just seems to be a close up. Unbelievable. It's basically a Monday morning. I know. <laughs> it is a Monday morning. And Jackson Heights and other areas along the 7 train will soon see a massive amount of residential growth. As a result of the L-Train effect, finds a new report conducted by Aerial Property Advisors. The report concludes that more people will begin to migrate further east into Queens at an accelerated rate thanks to the MTA's impending 18-month shutdown of L-Train service between Brooklyn and Manhattan and the opening of Cornell Tech's residential campus on Roosevelt Island, driving a new demand for reliable transportation into the city at an affordable price. Long Island City has established itself as an in-demand neighborhood where prices have increased drastically over the course of the last five years. As prices in the area, as well as in Astoria, continue to climb, more people will turn to the areas further away from Manhattan. New Yorkers looking for a lively community that's rich in history could find exactly that in the Seaport Fulton Street neighborhood. The South Street Seaport at Pier 17 is home to some of the city's oldest architecture and has thrived for centuries as a dynamic commercial hub. And though it has undergone major changes in the last few years, experts say the Seaport remains 
its industri- maintains rather its industrial charm. In terms of dining, shopping, and entertaining, the seaport has everything you'd want in a two-block stretch, said Whitney Barrett, executive director of the Old Seaport Alliance, a community organization that advocates for local businesses and residences. You can score a Manhattan zip code for less than $1 million, believe that, from, uh, and, and this, is, this is really interesting, from priceless views of the Hudson River, Empire State Building, and even Central Park, you can own a few square feet in this city without a massively painful price tag. Start saving because 40% of all sales in New York City are still under $1 million. So if you have money to buy an apartment and it's, doesn't have to be a million dollars. Come to the Big Apple because you can certainly still purchase. While walking through the meatpacking district, traces of its industrial past are still viable, uh, visible rather, among the exclusive clubs, trendy restaurants, and high-end retail boutiques. The Belgian block stone streets are still present, although they no longer look like they used to. The historical architecture remains, but inside, you're more likely to find the latest fashion by Diane Furstenberg or a hip art gallery than men processing cattle pig and sheep carcasses like they used to. There were about 200 meatpacking companies in the neighborhood a few decades ago, but today there are less than 10. No longer known for its meat manufacturing, the area is now a contender for one of Manhattan's trendiest in terms of art and nightlife. And finally, New York City Real Estate will hold New York City Real Estate Expo will hold its eighth annual event Thursday, September 29th at the New York Hilton Hotel in Manhattan. Doors open at 7:30, and you can stay until five. The event will bring together commercial and residential real estate professionals for a full day of networking, panel, panel discussions, and education sessions. More than 3,000 plus professionals have already registered for what has become a must event. Uh, real estate event in New York City. Uh, As I've said last week, I will be moderating a session um, on how to become a world-class connector. So please join us. If you would like a 10% discount on tickets for this event, you can call into the show at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. I will have a bunch of tickets available at a 10% discount for anyone who'd like to join. So please come and see us. Good morning to my panel. How is everyone today? Good morning. 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 So how are you? Parul is calling in today, and I have in front of me um, Matthew Cohen from uh, Core Real Estate, Deborah Hoffman from Town Residential, and Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com. So how was Labor Day weekend for everybody? Relaxing. Uh, so nice. I have to tell you. I was you, at you know, a beautiful wedding in the Berkshires. It was unbelievable. I love the Berkshires. I mean, it's just a fabulous part of this country. You know, with all the threat of Hurricane uh, Hermine and and bad winds and weather and and rain and whatever else, we were kind of braced for not such a nice weekend. In fact, lots of friends of mine had plans to be out at beaches, either Long Island or New Jersey, and they canceled their plans because of the impending st- storms, which clearly never happened. And fortunately, the weather cleared out. It was beautiful. Up, I was up in my family's uh, place up in northern Westchester and uh, for the weekend, and the weather was just amazing mm-hmm. for three straight days, just gorgeous. So finally, a summer weekend to say yay and to have some decent sitting outdoor time well, and to not get the, sweating. To get the show on to a fun start. Can we just talk about how horrible the name Hermine is or Hermine? 
Every time I hear it, I'm like, is this Hurricane Hermes? It just sounds so strange to me. Well, listen, the newscasters or the weathercasters couldn't even say it properly. It's true. Hermine, Hermine. I mean, it was every time someone pronounced it, it was different. They couldn't pick a different H. How does that work, by the way? Does anybody know how that works? It starts from A every year and right. then goes all the way down. I don't know where the names come from. But you can stay in the A's forever or the B's forever. I mean, but when they get to H's, why do they pick that? Why not Harold? Next April, they're going to have Hurricane Matthew Cohen. Oh, why not an easy name? Name. But what if it's a bad one? Oh, yeah, it's gonna there be a bad there one. is someone from the National Weather uh, whatever that is in charge of it. I, I read this when we were doing Hurricane Sandy. No, it was after Hurricane Katrina. And everyone with the name Katrina was complaining and people are going to think I'm all about destruction now or something. Well, so now everyone some... with the name Hermine is apparently complaining. Good. Well, yeah. <laughs> no one's named Hermine. They should, they should Hermine. be complaining yeah, because they have that I, name. I know so many Hermines. <laughs> you do? Really? Seriously? No, no, I'm being. Oh, oh. Hermione, <laughs> Hermione, say, Hermione is so different. Hermione, I don't know what how to yeah. say it properly. Hermione like I said, from it's spelled Harry different. Potter. Harry Potter. <laughs> 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 there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, continuing the 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 getting the show off to a great start. This is always, of course, one of my favorite topics. So between yellow taxis, green cabs, <sighs> gypsy cabs, and a never-ending proliferation of car-hailing startups, New Yorkers have never been more spoiled for a choice when it comes to catching a cab or a ride. But not all rides are worth the hail, and startups can be notoriously glitchy. With that in mind, what out of the four of the city's four prominent, uh, I guess, app-based car services are the best or your favorite? So, of course, we have Uber, we have Via, we have Lyft, we have your traditional yellow taxi. We still have some gypsy black cars running around the city. And I might have gotten one, uh, maybe there's Get, G-E-T, I think there's another one. There's Get, and there's a new one called Juno that someone in my office has a connection with, which I have not tried yet. There so you I have it. I haven't even heard of that it. one. So, you know, I'm sure around the country, I know Uber is around the country. I'm not sure about the rest around the world. Uh, there is Uber. But you know what? Here in New York City, we are so taxi cab driven, uh, no pun intended, or subway <laughs> driven because we have to get around. We can't. We don't necessarily drive our own cars. And so, of course, I always have issues with yellow taxi cabs. I think, it, you know, they just see me coming. And, you know, you've heard my stories over the past few years. But anyway, I mean, so – what works these days with uh, with all these car services, or does any of them not work? Well, I know I don't know how Phil and Pearl Pearl feel, but I know that Deb and I both love Via, especially we since we, we came on one together today. Um, wow! I am a huge you fan. You are that's so awesome. Yeah, we, we we carpooled. We had a little morning outing. Um, I love Via because I think Via's where great. else can you have an opportunity to not only meet other interesting people, but also have a you know the same five dollar fare to go anywhere. Anywhere, That's pretty and amazing. I have to tell you something else that I love about Via. They are interactive, so they will send you a text saying either the car is a little late, we're switching cars, or your car is two minutes away. And if there's a problem, this happened to me down on Astor Place about a month ago where they sent me to a place and what they didn't realize was it looked like brand new pop-up construction. Something major had happened. There was no way they could pick me up there. I immediately texted them from the last time I took Via because I, I keep their number and explained it. And they said, thanks, hang on, we'll find you a different stop. Or there was another time I was leaving the show and it was the day of one of the big parades and I could physically see that there was no way the car was going to get to me. And it said, coming in 13 minutes, coming in 14 minutes, coming in 15. 
So I texted them and I explained what the situation was there. And I said, I don't mind walking a block away to make it easier for the driver. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, you don't. And they texted back, oh, no, you don't have to do that. You don't have to. I said, no, no, I see that it's a major traffic problem here. I will do that and I will look for him. And then I texted, I'm here, whatever. And then they texted me back, you were so kind, we're giving you this ride for free. Wow. You know, I have to tell you something. I, I also prefer uh, Via. I love it. And, and, you know, for $5 anywhere, you know, it, it's really kind of cool. But the only uh, um, problem that some people have, I don't, as Deb just said, sometimes you have to walk a block to meet the car. So if you're ordering out of this building, for example, if you're ordering a Via and you're going north, you've got to walk over to 8th Avenue, which is one one avenue over, which is not a big deal because it, unlike um, – uh, Uber, they'll come and pick you up at your door wherever you are. So you've got to kind of go and meet where the next stop is for the 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 via car to go by, and they will stop and pick you up. Again, well, I, not I, a big deal. I think it's it's for five dollars you can well, walk a block. It's not. How long do you guys wait for via? Do you guys wait for I, like I've, five I've, minutes? I do sometimes wait a little longer for it though. I also mm-hmm. think the via is very smart because they're competing yes. with the subway at five dollars, and I think you know it's only a little bit more. Um, I I I have gotten complaints about. About sharing rides before from people from people but that I, have to share with you <laughs> yeah right only with me <laughs> we they're like god he's the worst but uh, you know what in the car he's this in morning, the car again <laughs> um, Matt and I were having such real estate conversations because that's who we are it's in our blood there were two other people there and they could have told us to be quiet but actually I think because real estate's the new pornography they wanted to hear everything we had I was just going to say can you just imagine two real estate agents (laughs) in a via or anywhere (laughs) chatting together it's like going to the theater they were like like, we didn't know we were going to be in a via with the Howard Stern's real estate (laughs) (laughs) you know it's but no but I think what's true my only thing about the whole via Uber thing is that I think it, I've heard that Uber pool, yeah, the crowd is very different. So if you're gonna share a car, yes. um, it's much better in Via apparently because there's more corporate esque people. It's more you know mainstream, older business like things like that. Um, where I've heard Uber pool can get a little young and rowdy sometimes. <laughs> I've <laughs> heard that to too. Down I've heard that it. too. All right, no. we have to go to a break. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are coming back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. By the time I was 16 years old, I knew I wanted to get into real estate. We'd already moved through seven homes in four countries, and I spoke five languages. Of all people, I understand that transition is difficult. It's why I've committed my career to making sure that this process for my clients is as smooth and successful as possible. It's why I've connected them to the best professionals and attorneys and bankers, and I wake up every single day thinking, how can I make this better? I'm Tony Sargent with CORE, and this is what I do. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are back with program Bad from Compass, Phil Horrigan, LeaseBreak.com, Matthew Cohen, Core Real Estate here in New York, and Deborah Hoffman, Town Residential. All right, so we've had, we have lots of different housing stock here, and I want to talk today about rent control apartments in our Thrifty Mr. Uh, rental Guy is here today, so uh, he'll help us out. Many New Yorkers think of rent control as an unbelievably cushy deal, the holy grail of living arrangements. No wonder then that back in the 1990s, and I remember this article, locals grew incensed when it emerged that the actress Mia Farrow was living in an 11-room apartment at Central Park West and paying a mere $2,900 a month for those palatial digs. Now, $2,900 a month 11 years ago was still a lot of money, but uh, compared to the size of apartment, that should have probably been $10,000 a month. Anyway, extreme celebrity case notwithstanding, rent regulation was initially intended to grow, help low- and middle-income New Yorkers uh, hack it in one of the world's most expensive cities, and it still does that for many. An estimated 1 million units throughout the five boroughs are stabilized, but rent control follows its own set of metrics that determine increases in rent, and the city's dwindling number of rent control tenants say that the policies originally created to help them are now hurting them financially. So let's explain to the listening audience, first of all, you know, what is rent control and how does it work, and why do we still have it? Yeah, I mean, I'll start, but um, I'm not an expert in rent control and rent stabilization, but I will say that there is a big distinction between rent control and rent stabilization. And we probably know very few people that are now on rent control because most of those apartments have gone from rent control to rent stabilization. So I just uh, I just took some notes here because I wanted to remember the numbers. I knew that rent control was on the lower side. So only 27,000 as of 2014, only 27,000 units in the entire city a rent control that includes five boroughs and the five boroughs, and, yeah. and that is low. I mean, that's that. That means it's going to be rare if you find someone that has a rent control department, and about a million thirty thousand are rent stabilized. So that's the one that's a little more popular that you might know some people that have. So the way my understanding is that everything was rent controlled at some point, and then at some point, well, I'd say as as you know, years went by, rules came up to make these rent control departments become rent stabilized. And there are still some rent control departments that I believe if you own it since 19 or rent it since 1971 and there's been continuous ownership or there's been maybe a family member that's taken it over, then those are still rent controlled. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's rent stabilized. Mm -hmm. Anyone else want to? I I, I have them in my building uh, as well. We have a few left in the building. I don't remember how, uh, how many, but there are a few. And, you know, the simple fact of the matter is, you know, there are people who are living in these rent controlled apartments now, not stabilized, but rent controlled apartments for, you know, 50 years, for 60 years. You know, there, I, we have someone on my floor who's been in that building for, I think it's at least 50 years. And, you know, Lord only knows what the rent is that he's paying, but I'm sure it's nothing. Yes, he's an, a, a very old guy by now, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we there's yeah. always both sides of the story here, and that's kind of what I wanted to get at. You know, we, we feel for the elderly and for the tenants who have these apartments and they shouldn't be taken away from them. But on the other hand, the flip side of that coin is, that the landlords who own this building, you know, have to endure the increases 
of you know just city living and you know building maintenance and and taxes and whatever mm-hmm. else, and yet they cannot you know increase these apartments or these tenants in these apartments. So it's kind of like a you know a, a major dilemma for the landlord in trying to keep up with. And that's why when you see some dilapidated, very dilapidated buildings in New York City in all five boroughs, it's because the landlords really can't afford to even change the front door sometimes. Yeah, one, one so gets, there's, a, there's both sides of it, and it's a really, you know, it's a, you can have a strong debate on either side of this issue. Yeah, and just to, just, so, just to hammer the point, as Vin said, so every year, I believe it's every year, the city says, here's the amount that you are allowed to increase Correct. the rent by. It's usually something between 0 and 2%. Yeah. And Vince, you mentioned that the rent control departments may be on a different schedule. I'm not familiar with that. The ones that I'm familiar with are the rent stabilization. I don't know. I th- I thought the rent control was under the same, but they are can- they are on an annual also, and the increases are uh, very very low, very yeah. low. And it maybe is zero to two percent. I'm not quite sure. On the stabilized mm-hmm. stabilization side, you know, there's a, a formula and there's a you know a grid that says you can only go up so much. Right. And then of course the third type of rental in this town is free market or open market, whatever you want to call it. And if you start out paying $3,000 a month, and the next year the landlord decides to raise you $500, he can. Or 1000 he can. Typically, they don't, but they can. Mm-hmm. If it's free or open, uh, you sign your lease for a year or two, and then when the renewal comes up, you know that landlord can increase you to anything they want to, because that is their prerogative. That's the protection of stabilized leases, and that's obviously the protection of rent control. Now, you cannot today start a new lease as a rent control Person, you can start one as a rent stabilized person, but not. Uh, in fact, somebody just a, a friend of mine just took a lease uh, in uh, Brooklyn in Dumbo in a beautiful building, and the entire building is stabilized. So he's signing on for a two year lease as a stabilized lease, and I was a little I was surprised at that, and I thought, wow. No, we just did it as well uh, at uh, a place called Ivy Tower, three fifty West Forty Third. This was a couple years ago, and there most of those units are also rent stabilized, but at much higher prices. So like I think our rent at the time was something between this is a, lar- a larger apartment but something between you know 5 and 6000 but the legal rent the legal rent that they could actually charge is like 8 or 9000. Mm-hmm. But the irony there is that it's not worth anything close to 8 or 9000. So there's like a, there's this whole game that's being played um, a lot of buildings are rent stabilized if they offer a certain amount of rent stabilized units they can yes. get subsidies and tax yes. benefits and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's a very very I mean there are attorneys that spend there and entire lives just on this issue. It can get very, very complicated. There absolutely are. And, you know, again, just to to bring some uh, relevance to this whole topic, you know, rent control apartments started right after the World War, World War II, I think, and that was really to protect, in this city, and that was to protect veterans coming back from the war who really didn't have a lot of money and who needed to live someplace in Manhattan. It sort of was like our reward to them. And now all of these years later, it's still in effect, and it has become quite the political situation here in town. As I said earlier, a minute ago, it, it, there are both sides of the story here, and you can debate strongly on either side, either for the landlord or for the tenant. I'm so in the middle, I don't, you know, because I feel for both sides, and as a real estate agent especially, but uh, I don't see in the foreseeable future that any of this gets resolved, and it probably won't. And the people who have these apartments should keep these apartments. I mean, they can't really afford much more. Then you need to leave the city, and then that's a whole different lifestyle change. I agree with all this, but 
on the flip side, people are really struggling many times to keep these apartments, meaning I ran into a friend of mine from college, and we're talking 35 years ago when we were in college together, and I said, hey, where are you living now? And she told me it was a former residential hotel, which is actually now a... um, uh, an assisted living facility. Mm-hmm. I said, I can't believe you're living there. I said, where do you live? And she said, oh, in the F line. I know the F line is a two bedroom, two bathroom apartment with a kitchen that is literally four feet long. It's what we call a Pullman kitchen, mm-hmm. just that. And she raised three kids there. And I said, was it a little tight? And she said, hey, rent stabilized in the city. I'm rent stabilized and I don't mind living with all the seniors. And hey, and there's a bunch of rent stabilized people here. And in addition, I have a friend who, same thing, she's raising a family and she's in a one bedroom. Yeah, oh my so God. So people hold on to them. Well, you know, yeah. It's a funny way of living. Well, they do. And then, then, then the, the last piece of this, this equation is, you know, the passing on of that apartment to next of kin, whatever. And that's becoming increasingly more difficult to do. You know, uh, you have to live in that apartment with the uh, person who has that apartment for yeah. at least two years before you can take over if that person passes away. And so, you have in other to words, prove it. And you have to prove it. So, in other words, if your grandmother or grandfather have a rent-controlled apartment and they're paying $800 a month for a fabulous one-bedroom on the Upper West Side, and you want that apartment when he or she passes away, you've got to live with your grandparent for two years. You've got to prove that you've lived there by you know, receiving bills and paying bills and probably paying the rent. And then when that person passes away, you can have that apartment. It's 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 not always as easy as I just made it sound, but you know, they're because the landlords again are trying to get these apartments back. And with this passing on to the next of kin, this is why we still have what did you say, twenty seven thousand? Twenty seven thousand rent controlled. Yeah. Twenty seven thousand units yeah. rent controlled still left in, in as in of two thousand fourteen. Yeah. Correct. All right. So moving on, uh, let's go to the next topic. It's no secret that home ownership has become increasingly unattainable for many Americans as home prices rise, sellers demand hefty down payments, and salaries fail to keep up with the inflation. But if you are a renter with dreams of climbing on the property ladder, some new data may uh, serve to rub salt in that wound. While rents have been too damn high and getting higher for years here in town, the cost of owning a home has actually fallen, according to new numbers compiled by Apartment List, a survey company here in New York. Beside the lower interest rates ever recorded making this achievable, what else is happening uh, to the falling prices, and how can we better convince our clients or, or, or buyers that it really is a good time to buy in this city of New York? Anyone well, else? Yesterday, I was having a conversation with a friend from yeah. out of town. Oh, oh my yeah, God. Go. go ahead, Pearl. Go. Oh, I was just saying that just yesterday, I was having a conversation with friend's parents uh, who I was at dinner with, and um, you know, they don't live in the city, and they were just sort of floored by the pricing um, that, in terms of just even buying a one-bedroom would cost to them for their daughter, who does live in the city. And, you know, it, it was interesting for me to recognize that these were very well-educated, you know, well-off people who don't live in the city. And for them, you know, as soon as they see the big price tag, they really aren't doing a lot of times the math and, the, and and taking the time to understand why then they should be buying. And I think that that when, you know, having a conversation with people like us makes all the difference in the world because as soon as I sort of gave them an understanding of how quickly your equity value does 
you know, double or, you know, go up by 10, 20, 30, 40, 50%. When they started understanding how when they're, you know, putting down a down payment and then leveraging the rest of the purchase and how that all of a sudden becomes a really great investment for them. And it's not about looking at the cap rates necessarily as much as it is about looking at your long-term equity value and how to sort of look at that in terms of offsetting it with their rental costs that their daughter is paying on a monthly basis. So once we had that conversation, they're like, oh, wait, you know, we should really talk about buying an apartment for her because for the foreseeable future, she'll be living in the city. And I think that that's effectively the conversation that needs to be had for people to really understand why purchasing makes sense. I I agree. And just to add on to what Pearl said, um, you know, people don't always, you know, they just see a sale price. And I think that if, especially if you are getting a mortgage, even <clears throat> if the market is high, um, you know, your monthlies, if you're going to compare them to rent in the city, are very different than just looking at the purchase price, especially since, Vince, you said that interest rates are so low. A big factor that is increasing people's purchase power these days is that you can also get a much greater LTV, which for people out there, that's loan to value, um, because the banks are allowing people to put down much less mm-hmm. than they have in the last, you know, six, seven years. Um, you know, it used to, every bank used to only let you do 20%, you know, even if it's a condo which allows you to go as low as 10%. But I, I just had two clients who one just financed 15%, one just financed 10%. Per, uh, sorry, one put down 15%, one put down 10%. Same here. So if you can, you know, it, it all depends on how much you put down. It all depends on how much you leverage, you know, going from one end to the other. Some people just, you know, like to have more money on their hands. So they'll put down less and they'll keep their monthlies higher. Um I find that the majority of people like to have lower monthlies. So let, that's, let's, yeah. let's hold it there for a minute. We'll pick it up after the break. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We have to go to break. We're coming right back. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com I've been a real estate broker for 14 years and I really believe that success in any business happens one happy customer at a time. A client once told me, Maggie, you're going to be my broker for life. And I really take a lot of pride in that. When you exceed a customer's expectations, you know you've done a great job for them. You've gone above and beyond. They're going to give you repeat business. They're going to refer you to their family and friends. It means that they really, really trust you. I'm Maggie Kent with CORE, and this is what I do. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control, and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are back, and we're talking to Matthew uh, Cohen, Peru Brombat, Phil Horrigan, and Deborah Hoffman. All right, we want to pick up back on that topic of buyers today um, should be buying because things are or, or much better from a financial perspective and the cost of money. Anyway, Matt wanted to complete his thoughts, so go ahead, Matt. So to complete my thought, it was that you can you can leverage a lot more money with the bank these days. So you know, money is so cheap, mm-hmm. and I have a lot of clients who would normally pay all cash who in the last few months, if not over the last year, have actually chosen to get a loan just because cash is so cheap. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm going to give it to Phil. No, I was going to totally agree with what Matt said. And just to add to that point, so yes, you have to compare it to what it would cost to rent the place. That's a really important point. And I just wanted to add that the tax benefits you get from from the sale are really, really make a difference. And a lot of people don't look at the after-tax benefits. So sometimes they say, well, my monthlies are, you know, 6000 And if I rented a similar place, it would be 5000 But then if you say, yeah, but look at your tax benefits that you're going to get. The equivalent rent then may be 4500 which would be less than it would be to rent it. It's almost always more beneficial, almost, to buy in, as opposed to rent. However, I just wanted to add that... It still is risky. Like I don't want to make it sound like it's not risky because I always tell buyers if they say, "Look, I want to, you know, get a, do a quick deal and, and sell in a couple of years," I say, "Then don't buy." Like if you're not looking to hold on to a place for probably at least five years, it could be very risky. I mean, the market can go down ten to fifteen percent. That is possible. Over the long term, people that have held on to Manhattan properties have done extremely well. But you know, I'd really advise anyone if they're looking for a quick deal. You want to buy and then sell in a couple of years, very risky. And I always say, look, if that's what you want to do, I strongly advise you to not buy. Unless you're going to hold the place for at least five to seven years, it could be risky. You could lose money. And I think as agents, it's 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 responsible for us to make that point. And and since we are a family you know, here, we almost always more. pearl. You good? Oh, I was just going to say, Phil, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, because the thing is, I always say to clients that as much as I always draw this picture and I say, look, there's always deltas in the market because this is a cyclical market. However, the trajectory of the graph is always upwards. So it's not that there won't be ups and downs. It's just a matter of but you're always going to be climbing the hill. So if you are going to be in a position where in two years or three years, you're absolutely going to have to sell. If your ideology is to just like, oh, I want to buy something and be able to flip it quickly, um, that is not necessarily, I mean, and there are ways of doing that, um, but that is, as you said, so very risky and couldn't agree with you more. And what what I was going to say is that we we are a family on this radio show, and we almost always agree with each other. But I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here with Phil and Pearl because I agree and I disagree. I think it's very good to know that the market can change very quickly. But I've also had a lot of clients who were very successful in flipping in a year or two, depending on what the product was. Um, I also just think that people need to be aware more than flipping in a year or two or 10, people need to be aware that New York is not the kind of place where you are going to make a ton of cash flow, especially on an individual unit. You need to know that you are investing for appreciation mostly. If you were 
going to buy and you're doing a 10-year investment, you need to know that it's most important. Yes, maybe you match your monthlies between your costs and your rental income, but what's going to make you the money is over time. It's not going to be the rental income. That's always my first thing. I, I agree with that, and I have personally experienced that, so I, I 100% agree with that. I also wanted to mention one other thing, too, and it really comes down to emotions. I think buyers, more than sellers, and sellers can be very emotional, but buyers, I think, especially in questionable or changing markets as we are in, in today, uh, can probably you know engage that emotion a little more than needs to be because I think – you know, with the cost of money today, as Matt said earlier, you know, you can really leverage, you know, uh, the banks to really work on your behalf, in your favor. But yet there's still that hesitation with some people to just pull the trigger and, and to buy something. And I think if you are the type of person that wants to or needs to buy, you should be buying today. It's the perfect market to purchase in. You hold it for a bit of time, as Matt just said, and then you're going to make money on it. Some people buy homes, raise families in them. So you're talking 10, 15 years. It's not like everybody is buying to flip an apartment. And and you know if you're still starting out at studios and one bedrooms, and then eventually you meet people and you need to trade up because you're you know getting together with somebody and and, and wanting to settle down and, and, and create a family, then you start buying and selling. But at the end of the day, I really have to say that this is the best time to be buying and just keep the emotions in check. It's not the end of the world. It's not the worst thing. It's actually the best thing that you could be doing for yourself and for your investment dollars because purchasing in New York City always, I don't care what market is, it is always, always, always is the best investment ever. And Sorry, Vince, I'll say on your point, I often tell buyers, look, if you're worried about where the market's going to be up or down five or 10 years from now, just look at what happened in 2008. The worst financial crisis that this country has faced since the Great Depression, right? The world, yeah. The world, right? Mm -hmm. Since the Great Depression. And prices are now higher than they were. (laughs) And not that many people lost money in 2008 either. That's That's the thing. That's right. So So that's why I... Always use it as an example. If someone's worried, and it's a way to get them off the cliff, if they don't know when to buy, because you really can't time the market. If you think, oh, I'm going to wait next year, I'm going to, the market's going down. No one knows. I, I don't care who you are. No one knows for sure what's going to happen. It's just you just don't know for sure. Yes, as agents, we may have an idea, probably more than the average person for <laughs> sure, but no one knows with 100% certainty. So always look at that example. If you hold on for five or 10 years, you should be fine because even at the worst possible time to buy, theoretically, right? 2000, end of 2008, say, or beginning of 2008, you were fine. On the heels of what Phil just said, the New York City market can often feel like it's moving and shifting at a breakneck pace, except for one rather unsettling concept. Everything is getting more expensive by the day. And if you look back to 2008, as Phil just said, I mean, since those those days, everything has completely changed and much, much higher. In search of a little guidance for new buyers looking to dive into the marketplace and even uh, those who have done it before, and they want a deal. So where are the best neighborhoods in New York City to buy in? And we're talking about, uh, let's talk about Manhattan and Brooklyn for for sake of uh, argument today. Where are the best deals today? Deals meaning lower prices uh, or, or, you know, neighborhoods that are still emerging where you can get a a lower priced apartment versus a, a place like Tribeca or Soho or Upper West where, you know, prices are, you know, very high. What neighborhoods would you recommend to people or in your businesses, individual businesses, what are your clients coming to you asking about neighborhoods? Well, so I'm going to answer that in two different ways. 
Um, one is I'm always a huge supporter of Harlem. Um, they're great deals, quote, quote, <laughs> to be had. You get a lot of bang for your buck and there's a lot going on up there yes it's gentrifying but it's also great right now there's amazing neighborhoody feel there's amazing restaurants and bars and atmosphere um i also have been doing a lot more business the last few months alone in east harlem and i have to say it's it's also very interesting in terms of the feel there's actually a new development on park avenue that an amazing corcoran broker is doing and you really do get so much more for your money. Um, but we were having this conversation in my office last week and there was one area that is never on my radar that someone mentioned. And that was Roosevelt Island. Cause I think that it's overlooked by a lot of people, even us brokers because of the type of housing it's always been in terms of the middle income housing or the lower middle income. And they're starting to convert buildings um, that were certain type income housing and making them new development co-ops. And they're getting, you know, very, um, just a lot of space for the money. And and I think it's a lot of interesting product over there. I think one I, I agree with that, and I think one of the only obstacles to to a Roosevelt Island is is the transportation mm-hmm. to yeah. and from you know yeah. the tram over and over. Uh, but other than that, you're right. I mean, there's great housing stock over there, and, it's, and the views are amazing. The views are amazing, and it's your own private little Idaho. You know, the the uh, the article <laughs> article I was reading says Murray Hill Midtown East. Uh, Gramercy, Kipps Bay, all of that Midtown Easty kind of area still relatively lower priced than other parts of Manhattan. They also cited Lower East Side. I'm not so sure I agree with that because that is. I think Far East, though, like I've had some buyers. One buyer I had, this is maybe five years ago, and she just wanted the most amount of space Mm -hmm. she can get Mm -hmm. per dollar. Like that's what she was looking for. She had uh, several kids and she just wanted a huge apartment. She went up buying Lower East Side. Very, very far east. And mm-hmm. there are some places there. There's some co-ops there that I mean. It's a 20-minute walk to the subway. I was right, just going to say, that's I know that. Yeah, absolutely. that's a long walk over there. Very long walk to the subway. And that you can get a lot for your mm-hmm. money there. If if your main focus is, like I think they, they were both self-employed. They worked out of the apartment. Yeah. They didn't well, travel did, much. Right, right. They had a lot of kids. They, they loved Manhattan, wanted to be here. And that's where they went up. I mean, we looked. They would, they would have lived anywhere. And that's where they went up because they can get the most Per dollar, you know, most amount of square foot per but, dollar. But isn't this what we talk about all the time when you're working with buyers? It really depends upon their lifestyle, and and we, you know, we talk about this with our in our own private businesses with our buyers. It depends on your lifestyle. It depends on where you work or need to work. It depends on. If you need to trans, uh, uh, take the train for transportation, as Deb said, that's a 20-minute walk from those, those co-ops down there. I've timed it walking fast. I had a friend who lived there, and exactly, and I used to do that walk and think, oh, my God, this is really crazy. Can mm-hmm. you imagine in the really cold, cold weather? I want I to it. say one interesting thing about the article that you quoted. Um, Midtown East, very interesting, because I have done a lot of business in Sutton Place mm-hmm. and Turtle Bay, and in, you know, over the last year or two, and people have gotten some great deals over there. Um, buildings like the Brevard on mm-hmm. 54th and 2nd. Um, That's a good building. You know, building. it's a great building. You know, they have low monthlies. Tough co-op, um, right? mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah yes. it, it can be. Yes. Um, but, you know, since then, they have put a Whole Foods on 57th and 2nd. Yep. They are putting more restaurants and bars on 2nd. And my interesting point to the, to the listeners is there's been a lot of articles recently about the rezoning of Midtown East. There's a lot of rezoning happening with the city, allowing for taller buildings to be built 
And I think that people are reading that because I've had a lot of clients ask me about it and it scares them. And I do not blame them. I think that people are frustrated with buildings being built in front of them and people losing their views. And I think that Midtown East is going to be a great place to buy over the next year if they keep rezoning because people get scared And by some that. of those taller buildings started a couple of years ago along 2nd Avenue, I think, in the in the, um, uh, in the 40s, high 40s and low 50s, because I used to live over there in, in the Turtle Bay area many moons ago. And I remember all, you know, the, the demolition of all these beautiful, you know, mom and pop type buildings and walk-up buildings, whatever, to prepare for these skyscrapers that are now there. I can't remember some of the names of these well, fancy condos. Well, you mean like, the, like the, for, like the Vanderbilt on 40th Street? Correct. The High Gate, I think, is across the street. But mm-hmm. there's also a yeah. couple of uh, taller glass buildings, which we'll talk about when we come back from now break. Now they're building office buildings. Now they're doing yeah, some office buildings. A lot building. of the rezoning. All right, well, we have to take a break. You are listening to Good Morning <laughs> New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. Uh, and Perul wanted to make a comment on our last topic. Go ahead, Perul. Uh, what I wanted to say was uh, Matthew was talking about um, Harlem and East Harlem, and I just wanted to jump in and say that um, one of the things that I think is just so undervalued on the north side of Central Park is that there's quite a few buildings, um, including 1285th Avenue, which was a new development a few years ago that I had the opportunity to sell. Um, there are just these buildings that are beautiful and new and older that have these gorgeous, gorgeous Central Park views that are pennies on the dollar for the Central Park views you get from 57th Street. And actually, not in terms of price, but also in terms of the direction. So if you're on Central Park North, like, for instance, in 111 Central Park North, uh, you're actually, you actually have 
southern views over all of Central Park, looking overlooking the city skyline. And that view is arguably a better view of Central Park than looking north from 57, 58th Street and, and so forth. So as much as it is a little bit of a hike, there's express trains, the transportation is great, but I really do think that over the course of the next, you know, two to five to ten years, uh, the value appreciation of the Central Park views on the northern side of the park, whether it be East Harlem or Harlem or Morningside Park, are going to become that much more valuable. Agreed. All right. So we have many fans of uh, of ours. We live here in New York City. We think it's the greatest city in the world. It is the greatest city in the world. And lots of people around the country, in the U.S., and around the world also think so and would love to relocate to New York for, for work reasons, for personal reasons, whatever. So if you were about to move to New York City, one of the greatest cities in the world, as I just said, where you will soon say the world is at your fingertips because literally in New York City, the world is at your fingertips. Everything you'd want in terms of culture, dining, shopping, education, $12 juices, and I'm always on a juice cleanse or fast, so $12 juices, there you have it, and several thousand Hamilton tickets, which you still can't get because it, it's the greatest show in the world and everybody wants to see it. Plus, you'll never have to own a car again if that's not what you want to do. The so, best medical. The best everything. So my question is to to you guys here and, and for the benefit of the people around the world who are considering potentially moving to New York City, how hard is it to relocate to New York City? From other places, and sometimes just from the suburbs of New York City here, and some place, sometimes from California or other parts of the country, and sometimes from around the world. So, how hard does it really, as real estate agents, and when we see people coming to town wanting to live here for the first time, how hard is it for them to relocate and to kind of integrate into our world here, which is very different? I just want to uh, address people who live in the rest of the United States or possibly in Canada because those are the countries I know and how different it is relocating here as someone who did grow up in California and lived in the suburbs. It's a different way of living here. You're not going to have that extra family room. You're not going to have a lot of extra space or a mudroom. Yet at the same time, many buildings will have an activity room to rent out, a playroom for children. There's a lot more public venues, many are free, others you pay for, but it's a different way of living. We have cold winters and people are thinking, what am I going to do with my two-year-old? He has too much energy. What am I going to do? There are a lot of um, companies plus the playroom in your building. Yes, where they run. A lot of it's indoors. Uh, Many of the public pools are incredibly safe. If your building doesn't have one, very few buildings do. But You have to keep in mind it's a different way of living. Make a priorities list of what you have now and speak with your broker who is an expert in the neighborhood you want to move to, and they will explain how you maneuver that in New York City. But I think one of the things you touched on, Deb, is correct in that it's really a spatial spatial change. It's really all about the space. I mean, most people from out of this city, even our local suburbs, come from much larger homes. I did. And you come into a a first-time apartment as I did a studio, and it's kind of like, okay, so I go in my bedroom, and I stay in my bedroom, and I don't leave my bedroom, and I'm still in the same room, and it's kind of closing in on me, and blah, blah. That's what a first-time apartment is in the city after coming from a house. So if you are able to, I think, adjust to the space that you now are living in, you can then adjust yourself to the rest of New York City, which happens outside of your 
apartment. And I think for most of us, we can all agree that really life in New York City is more outside of our apartments than it is inside our apartments, even though we mm-hmm. still we spend enough time in our homes. But I think just the nature of this town uh, gets us outside uh, more than anywhere else. And I think that's probably why we're a little more healthy because we're walking and we're running and we're chasing this or chasing a subway car or whatever. Yeah. We're always on the move. I absolutely love this topic because um, I love our city and I love being a resident of New York for a long time now and actually helping people relocate to this city from outside. It, it kind of reminds me of why I love the city and it gives me a fresh perspective of moving, you know, being a new person here. I recently helped a, a wonderful couple from Norway relocate to the city who are both doing um, professorships for a year at Columbia. And they were referred to me and we got them a great two bedroom in Harlem. And it was, I actually had a lot of fun with them just teaching them how to be a resident here. Um, they're God love them and help them because they are walking all the way from 126 to Columbia um, every single day. It, which is not that bad, but every day, no matter what the weather, they were. It was pouring <laughs> one day, and they Norway. called me. Exactly, they just walk yeah. everywhere. But they said to me, "What do we do about cable and internet?" And I said, "Well, you can do FiOS or Time Warner." And and not only were they like, "What is that?" But they also, my favorite was when we were installing the FiOS. The the guy who installs it came. And the cable was on one side of the wall, and they were real believers, almost like feng shui, that it needed to be on the other side. And I tried explaining to them a million times that you can wrap it around, and so did the guy who was installing it. And they were like, we don't get it. How do you wrap around wires in apartments? It's amazing to me. And it just, honestly, it was one of the greatest experiences I've had in the last two months. <laughs> it was wonderful. It, uh, it's interesting, but you know, when, you, when you're working with first-time buyers, you know, especially um, in, that applies to topics like like this, you know, they they're sometimes their eyes are wide open, and sometimes I say they're very closed and shut. They don't necessarily understand the nuances of what it takes to to live in this town or to be successful in this town. I mean, I remember, you know, oh, I'm, I'm not even going to say it on the air how many years ago when I first moved here into the city. However, I remember feeling like every day after work, you know, you, you go home if you weren't meeting friends or whatever, I would just kind of like want to be outside. I mm-hmm. didn't want to go inside. I just felt like if I went inside my apartment too soon. I'd be missing something. Mm-hmm. And then I used to sometimes test myself and say, but, all right, Vince, so what do you think you're missing? And I really didn't have an answer for myself. <laughs> but I just true. felt like the world is moving around at mm. such a different pace. The world at your fingertips, as we said earlier, in Manhattan, like no other place. And I just felt like if I went inside, I was going to miss something. Didn't quite really know what I was going to miss. And my point there is, I think everybody coming into town for the first time in their life to live here or to settle here, either for work or for you know personal reasons, whatever, I think everybody kind of feels the same way until you settle in and realize, okay, so yeah, it is still a great city. Yeah, it's the greatest city in the world. And yes, I love it, and et cetera. But I can go home and I can be comfortable and I can, you know, kick back and sit and read a book and and not feel like there's something going on outside where I'm missing. What you do end up, you know, doing, I think, better uh, in the city than anywhere else is kind of planning your day. Even though we do a lot of spontaneity, uh, spontaneous things, but I think you plan the things that you want to do. You want to go see Hamilton on Broadway. You want to go to a movie with a friend. You want to have dinner or drinks or meet happy hour. You know, you kind of plan these things. 
uh, as best you can. And again, not having to have a car is the best thing in the world. I also like something that Deborah said, which is I like seeing the difference between Europeans moving to New York City and Americans in other parts of the country moving to New York City because I actually find that Europeans acclimate to New York better Mm -hmm. because they know what it's like to walk almost everywhere, use public transportation. They, you know, my favorite is with grocery shopping. You know, they all are fine carrying groceries three or four or five blocks. Where Exactly, with with the eco-friendly bags. Whereas, you know, someone from... From Arizona comes here and they're fresh direct all the way. They they can never, ever, ever understand, you know, carrying groceries for a while. Absolutely. And unfortunately, we have to end on that note. Next week, we have Sean Osher, the CEO of My Company Core Real Estate, will be a featured guest. Uh, and then we'll have our panel as usual. That's Good Morning New York for this week. Thank you for joining us. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com or vincerocco.com for all of us here at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.